I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, everyone. It's Brian with 12-Pack Radio, and we have a good show for you today. Two really interesting bowl games, Colorado playing Texas and Oregon playing Iowa State. We're going to break both of those down. We're also going to get into the All-Pac-12 list um, and go through some news, um, good and bad, throughout the conference. Um, so one of the things that we're going to continue to do is record weekly. So I apologize for the delay this week. We got it out within the week, but obviously a number of days late. Um, next week, we're going to cover basically um, uh, what we got right, what we got wrong, surprises in the Pac-12, um, tie a nice bow on the season, and then uh, we have a number of other items that we're going to continue uh, to roll through throughout the, the offseason. So very excited about that. But before we do that, uh, this episode of 12-Pack Radio is made possible by Nextiva, the official communications partner of the Pac-12, and the best business phone services chosen by U.S. News and World Report. Nextiva helps companies all over the Pac-12 stay connected with customers and coworkers using one easy-to-use app. Get Nextiva for your business and get business phone service, video conferencing, team chat, call reporting, and more, all for the fraction of what you would pay for those services separately. Make great calls every day. Visit nextiva.com forward slash 12 pack nextiva.com forward slash 12 pack to get started. Welcome back, everyone, to 12-Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news, the home of the Beta Rank College Football Statistical Model, and your home for Pac-12 gambling advice with William Hills Maxmeyer. We are live from the Nextiva studios, and we're going to continue recording weekly, going through Pac-12 football news. We're going to talk coaching changes. We're going to talk new hires. We have two bowls that we're going to talk to you today about that we're really excited to cover, but really the news of the day and the thing that's more important and most important is uh, the story that came out this week, and it's the passing of Ty Jordan, the running back and a really freaking good running back at that at the University of Utah. Uh, Pac-12 freshman, uh, you know, all, all freshman, not just on the team, led all freshmen. Um, and somebody that I think brought a tremendous amount of joy to the Utah fan base as they were uh, watching him run all over everybody. Uh, 19 years old and he um, uh, and, and just gone too soon and wanted to make sure that um, that we cover not only the story, but also how Utah is going to um, really memorialize his memory and just the in, in a year of 2020 where a lot of just awful things have happened uh, one of the things that sports does is provide um, an escape sometimes and joy uh, just pure pure joy and the way that he ran and and just played football was with pure joy and so um, really really looking forward to seeing how Utah uh, memorializes really the joy that he brought people in Utah, it's going to be more than this podcast will ever do. Um, just, you know, really rallying that fan base and providing a tremendous amount of happiness um, watching him play football. So um, our thoughts to him and his family. Um, and uh, and we'll continue to, to cover that and also cover the Pac-12. One of the things I thought was really exciting was to see his name um, on the all Pac-12 list as the freshman of the year in the conference. And one of the things, guys, that came out, I'm here with Rob Bowen from Sharp College Football and Max Meyer from William Hill. And uh, guys, I, I don't know if you had a chance to see 
the uh, the All Pac-12 list. They were the first team, second team, and then of course Coach of the Year and all that stuff. And again, of course, it's amazing to see Ty Jordan on there. Um, really ran hard, and uh, and was really fun to watch uh, him at Salt Lake. Anything stand out for you, Max, when you were taking a look at some of these names that were listed? Uh, I mean, honestly, like this is a this was a weird year, but uh, to do it just because I mean some players had more games than others. Um, I don't know. Like I, I was kind of like my, when I, when I saw the list, like, and even like, uh, Jarek Broussard being the offensive player of the year, I was, I was just kind of like, meh, you know, I, I didn't really, I guess like, I like Broussard definitely had a great year, but I just feel like that there wasn't really a standout on offense versus on defense, uh, town, town, uh, Talanoa Hufanga, he was sensational. And so like that, like I, I felt was worthy. Um, I, Carl Durrell slam dunk coach of the year and the conference, uh, even though honestly, like, I think what Chip Kelly did at UCLA this year was also fantastic. So, um, I mean, yeah, to me, like definitely maybe like a little lack of Oregon players for the second straight year, but, um, yeah, like, like I, I, I just, I just feel like that they got the big name, but like pretty much every big name on there. So no, no real complaints for me there. Rob, see me one of the uh, the unanimous, by the way, unanimous uh, Pac-12 wide receiver. I was I was actually pretty excited to see him. He was somebody that I really enjoyed uh, catching passes all out there. Um, I can go through a couple of names here, um, but but before I list them all, is there anybody that stood out for you uh, that you kind of want to spend some time covering here? No, I mean, I mean the list was okay. I mean, there, it, I think Max hit it on the head that it was just it was you know like most of the lists, and then you know even the you know other than Hibanga, the um, you know, Jordan, there weren't clear winners in my head, I guess. I mean, Darrell had a decent, um, you know, year, but, you know, I thought Chip Kelly's turnaround was actually more, uh, I agree with Max, I mean, more unexpected. I actually thought Jonathan Smith did a really good job yet again, you know, with where the Beaver, with how little the Beavers returned on offense for them to, and, and losing the starting quarterback to get them where they were respectable in uh, any year that they knocked off Oregon. I thought some of the complaints from Oregon that, you know, there weren't enough Oregon players on the list were, was a little bit much from what really wasn't that great of a football team. <laughs> so <laughs> throwing it in hot. I mean, that, and we'll talk about that when the, we cover their bowl game against Iowa state here. Um, yeah. You know, it was interesting. So when you take a look at the first team here, Ryan walk, uh, the, you know, the offensive lineman was on the first team and, and that's it from a team that, you know, on paper are the Pac-12 champions. Uh, I don't know, Max, what did you think about the lack of Oregon players on that first team? Well, I mean, I, I thought Oregon's offense was solid. Like, I wouldn't necessarily say, like, first team, but, like, I, I feel like they're, like, um, I guess, like, Verdell had a pretty disappointing year. Um, a couple, uh, I, like, I thought Oregon's offensive line, considering that they had five new starters, was actually, like, pretty solid. Um, and, and, and I, I like some of their wide receivers. I just, I, I guess, I don't know how their numbers stack up to USC's just because obviously like London and Vaughn's and St. Brown, like they just get so many more opportunities to catch the ball than Oregon's wideouts do. But yeah, no, I, I mean, like I, I not necessarily maybe first team for Oregon players, but maybe some more seconds or honorable mentions. To go through some of the names here, so the full list, Amon Ross St. Brown and Simi Fahoko as the wide receivers. The offensive line, first team, Elijah Vera Tucker out of USC. A. Lucas, Washington State. Donovan West, Ryan Walk, Drew Dahlman, 
uh, tight end, of course, Kate Otten out of Washington, who had a hell of a year. And man, I, I, I'm going to miss watching him play football uh, because he just was was all over the place and everybody knew he was getting the ball and he was getting it anyway. Uh, Keaton Slove is a quarterback and then the running backs, Jamar Jefferson and Jarek Broussard. And then, hey, congratulations, Utah, back on the board here. First team All-American with a place kicker, uh, Jaden Redding. Finally, uh, you know, returning the glory, the the trophy, and the championship belt all on the special teams at the University of Utah. On defense here, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, obviously out of Oregon. Uh, Tyler Johnson out of Arizona State, who is somebody that really made some noise. and glad to see him on there. Uh, Marlon Tui-Pelotu and Osa Digadua, obviously at UCLA, who had himself a, a wonderful year. Nate Landman, we'll talk about him and his matchup against Colorado, the torn ACL, which is a total bummer, um, out for the year. Uh, but it was fun to watch him throughout the year. ZTF out of Washington, who was just all over the place, and Devin Lloyd out of Utah, uh, making his presence known at the linebacking corps. Then finally going into the, the the secondary here, Mikel Wright out of Oregon, Chase Lucas out of Arizona State, who was supposed to have a promising year and did, and I just unfortunately just couldn't see him play more than we did. Like uh, Max mentioned, Talanoha Funga out of USC, and of course, Elijah Molden, bringing up, uh, you know, rounding out that list, and then uh, the, the place kicker, uh, ben, I'm sorry, the punter, Ben Griffiths out of USC. Uh, we, if you want to see the second, you know, team list, then go for it. And, you know, I won't read that verbatim here. But um, I don't know, like, I guess, like going into the second team, a name that kind of stood out for me. And we were taking a look. Actually, you know what? Let's go to some of like the coach of the year. Like you mentioned, Carl Durrell out of Colorado. Newcomer of the year, Ty Jordan. Defensive uh, player of the year, Talanoa Funga. And, of course, Jarek Broussard bringing up uh, the offensive player of the year, like you mentioned, Max. Um, I guess the good thing is we're going to see a decent number of these players next year. So that's pretty exciting, Rob. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these, I mean, most everyone on this list is going to be back, you know, unless they're declaring to go pro. And, you know, you'd expect nearly, I mean, you'd expect everyone on this list to be welcome back if they have, you know, because everyone's going to have eligibility left. I I think, I mean, I guess it was just, it's interesting. I mean, Stanford really bounced back solidly on offense and had a really good year offensively. UCLA had a really good year offensively. Um, I would have expected to see a few more. It, it just, it, it felt like, um, you know, some of those guys just weren't recognized enough um, for, for what they accomplished this year. I mean, particularly I would say UCLA really, I mean, having, you know, Felton who was in a lot of ways their best player, but, um, you know, it wasn't just Felton. I mean, that offensive line for UCLA really did road grade through the Pac-12. Um, and for them not to get anyone, you know, on the on the first team for the offensive line, I thought was a little surprising. No, that's definitely surprising. I think one of the things that was interesting was uh, Demetrius Felton was second team running back, uh, all Pac-12, and first team all everything. <laughs> so he was on two lists at the same time. So I think they were giving him his due. But uh, I think there's a good point there, Max, when it comes to the offensive line. I mean, like, certainly opened a lot of holes uh, for uh, Felton to run through and, and really was a key part of that offense this year. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the game that really, like, opened my eyes for UCLA's offensive line was the Oregon game. Like UCLA on, on actually really on both sides of, of the trenches, just like completely manhandled Oregon. And that was like the first time I had really seen that from a, from a crystal ball coach team in a while. And no, I mean, UCLA, like between Felton and, and Brown, like they were definitely getting, they, they were definitely, you know, creating a uh, nice uh, holes. And I mean, DTR got in on the action too. Like, yeah, I mean, UCLA's offensive line. No, I I, I agree. Like uh, that, that was uh, their defense was also a very surprising unit, and that's probably why like UCLA was definitely one of the more surprising teams this year. 
Um, and I think there's a lot of optimism uh, going forward. Yeah. And then all purpose, Britton Covey, who returns, I think, for another year. So very excited to see him yet again uh, with a Utah helmet on and obviously just a, a really good comeback story uh, from his injury in the previous year to be able to come back and uh, not only uh, see the field, but be productive and, and get that second team all Pac-12. Um, Rob, anything else you want to cover here when it comes to taking a look at some of these players? No, no. I mean, it's uh, you know, like you mentioned, like it, most of these guys should be back uh, unless they're expiring to go pro. And I'm excited to see him. I mean, this should be a, a year where the, you know, most everyone, it's going to be an odd year in college football with literally everyone returning so much production. Yeah, he's not coming back is Jamar Jefferson, who had a hell of a year. And I think he um, declared his intentions to uh, go into the NFL draft. Is, uh, is that right? Did I get that right? Yeah, he's gone. Okay. Well, congratulations, man. Go get paid. <laughs> um, it's been really fun watching him, and uh, you've just really been a revelation in Oregon State. Um, okay, cool. So we have two bowl games that we're going to cover. We have the uh, Colorado-Texas game, and then we have the Fiesta Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl with Oregon and Iowa State. We're going to cover those advanced stats, gambling lines, um, players to keep a lookout for, and we'll do that right after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, we are back, and we have two bowl games. Um, I was going to complain that we, we don't have more bowl games, but oh my gosh, these players have been on the road doing at like, just, just braving, um, so many different things. And I, um, I would want to be home with my family too, rather than even, even if it's in the, the Bahamas or, uh, or Dallas, Texas, which are some of these are from, um, so, so I hope that everybody that's played, um, gets the, the rest and time that they need. And if they want to play those bowl games, then I will watch them, but I'm not going to complain about it. And the first game we have here is December 29th, the Alamo bowl where Colorado is a nine and a half point underdog against Texas. And um, I think one of the things that's interesting about Beta Rank here is, you know, we've been watching a lot of Pac-12 football, but we have not been watching a lot of, um, well, I mean, I've been, I mean, I've been casually watching, obviously, football outside of the Pac-12, uh, but it's going to be really fun to go through these numbers here. And, uh, but let's, let's jump to you first here, Max. Uh, I thought this was a really intriguing matchup. Uh, Texas certainly has the talent, uh, but they were going fishing for a new coach uh, behind the, the current coach's back. You have a number of players, and we'll go through some of these players that have opted out um, of playing in this game uh, or just have opted out of the program, uh, period. And um, and I even though they're 6-3 and three and this Texas team has some interesting wins, I think anybody that is a Texas fan would say that this was a pretty disappointing year. I don't know. What did you think about the matchup when it popped up? Uh, well, so with, with Texas, normally you like to get Tom Herman as an underdog and fade him as a favorite. And so I, and I mean, Texas, like, like you were saying, like they've already had some players opt out. Uh, and I saw, I think that this line opened double digits and I was like, that's way too much for a bowl game that you can't like, I feel like Colorado just like they, like they were snubbed, uh, not being able to play a final pac 12 game. Uh, they're steaming and they want to show that they want to show really, I guess, like the Pac-12 and the rest of the country that they were deserving of a shot. 
And so I actually think Colorado is going to be pretty motivated here, though. Granted, it's it's been a long grinding year, so I guess you don't really know versus I'm not really sure what Texas has to play for here. Um, I mean, Grant, like they do have like some decent success under Herman and Bowles. Like I guess most notably was beating Georgia in the Sugar Bowl a couple of years ago. But I don't know. For me, betting betting Bowles is is especially dangerous this year, just because it's really hard to know. Um, especially like you're not getting the long layoff this year. Uh, it's already been a, a long and, and grinding season. Like there are just going to be some teams that no show and yeah, I, I mean like talent wise, like yes, Texas is, is better than Colorado, but I, I honestly feel like Colorado wants this game more and that enough for me is enough to take the points. Yeah, I guess one thing we should preface here before we get into um, any more of these bowls is, you know, last year and, and almost every year we talk about bowls being about motivation and they're really difficult to bet on and because you're kind of deciding what which team is going to show up or maybe if both teams show up. Um, and it's just always been like that. And now put this on steroids. Like last year, a good example was the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl where ASU played Florida State. And like nobody wanted to win that game. Like both teams just like 16 turnovers. And it was just it was just an awful, awful game. And and that's with a, a good coach. Like I, I really thought that Herm Edwards was going to get that team up to go because I trust him and I trust that coaching staff and they just you know like they're playing a bowl game on December 20th in in El Paso like what are you going to do you know um and and, but Max like a good example here is um Texas last year played Utah um and I thought I thought Texas didn't have anything to play for and I thought Utah would have a a chip on their shoulder not being able to play in the Pac-12 uh or not winning the Pac-12 and losing that title game and losing out in the playoff and Oh my gosh, like you nailed that. They they crapped the bed Utah did and Texas was able to take care of business with that talent. So kudos to you first. Um and second, like I think that the talent of Texas I don't know, like is it still there? Like are are they going to I don't know, like it, that it's just if I hadn't seen that game last year, which is not indicative of this year, um I think I would have uh, much more of a knee-jerk reaction headed towards Colorado, but um I don't know. Like what, what do you think about the talent of Texas? I mean, Texas, like, there's, I mean, they're still, like, a very, like, they have a lot of talent all over the roster. Um, I feel like under Herman, like, they really, like, mostly underachieved. But, I mean, like, last year, that was just, to me, like, such a clear flat spot with Utah going from possible college football playoff contender to a non-New Year's Six Bowl where they felt they were robbed. So... I mean, this year, I mean, what is Texas going to do? I I have no idea. And and maybe, honestly, like in the back of their mind, they're going to be thinking, oh, we crushed the Pac-12 team last year. It's going to be really easy to do the same thing this year. So we'll see. Rob, let's go to the numbers here. Before we do, a couple things to mention. Again, 6-3, and Texas. They beat UTEP, Texas Tech, uh, Baylor, Oklahoma State, and overtime, West Virginia, and then they crushed Kansas State with losses to – uh, Oklahoma, that four overtime game, Iowa State and TCU. Um, there are a number of opt outs here. So their star wide receiver, Brandon Eagles, has opted out. Uh, their star uh, defensive lineman, uh, Joseph Ossiai, I think is how you pronounce his name, first team all. Uh, all Big 12, 16 tackles for a loss. He's gone. Uh, Taquan Graham, another honorable mention, uh, is out. And then two of their really solid corners are gone. <laughs> so uh, so take some of these numbers with a grain of salt. Um, but but again, like Max said, there is still talent all over the roster. Uh, when it comes to opt-outs for 
Colorado, I think the first thing to mention is uh, we we still don't quite know if their quarterback is going to be playing this game, although Sam, uh, Sam Neuer looks probable. Uh, and, of course, like we mentioned, Nate Landman out with uh, an ACL tear, which is just a, a bummer um, all around. But I'm glad that he was able to get most of that season in. So, Rob, with with all that throat clearing, what do the what do the advanced metrics say here? So, <clears throat> Beta Rank has this as Texas is an 11.5 point favorite. Um, and that's uh, they have a pretty significant advantage, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. Their offense comes in at number 13 overall in Beta Rank. Uh, Mike Yurich is their OC. Uh, he was the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma State for a long time, um, then spent some time at, uh, at Ohio State, and I was getting a chance to call plays again um, with the Longhorns. He, uh, you know, in Ellinger, they're, they're a really explosive offense, number 10 in explosive drives. That th- this Colorado defense comes in at number three, 33 overall in beta rank, um, you know, and, and they've been better at controlling the pass. Um, some of that, of course, is the the short season, um, and they definitely played some teams that uh, you know lean into running the football, including UCLA. But they'll they'll get a, a Texas offense that's number 15 in effective pass. So I'm I'm interested to see this this matchup without Landman in there. Um, you know how Colorado is able to really you know match up here. On the other side of the ball, this is the number 49 Colorado offense. Um, you know, they, they really struggle with drive efficiency or defense or offense. Yeah, they really struggle with drive efficiency. This Colorado offense is not good at putting up, putting together long drives. When they do put up points, they tend to put it together and put up explosive drives. Um, Texas is, is, isn't is great at containing explosive drives. They're number 40 there, uh, you know, versus, you know, some of their other better numbers, but they're only at 27 in beta rank. They, I think they were expecting to take a bigger step forward with Chris Ash taking over as the defensive coordinator. Um, you know, and, uh, and moving on from Todd Orlando, but a lot of the problems that they've had, you know, from the, you know, the, their, the prior, you know, the, that they thought they'd be getting rid of with Orlando really haven't been there, but Colorado is not uh, with Neuer. They're not a real big pass team. They're, they're a run the football team, 26 in effective rush, 76 in effective pass. Texas doesn't have a big run pass, but they're also at 26 in effective rush and 32 in effective pass. The one thing I will say about the, the metrics coming into this game, um, is that we have a better handle because most of the Big 12 teams, including Texas, played a non-conference game. So the Big 12 is reasonably slotted, if you will, um, you know, versus where they might sort out versus the rest of you know the conferences. The Pac-12, of course, at this point, has only played one non-conference game, and that's Colorado against San Diego State. So we don't have quite as good of an idea of where the the you know some of these Pac-12 teams may shake out. Uh, in the end with their final ranking. So th- th- these games really for Colorado and Oregon, um, they're actually going to, you know, they're, they're, we will have three times as many <laughs> games, in, um, you know, going from one to three, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, so we'll have uh, two more to add to the tally, but not a lot, not a lot to go on and really slotting the Pac-12 in here. Yeah, it was interesting. I was taking a look at some of these stats, and uh, one of the things I really love when I take a look at, at the Beta Rank uh, team comparison tool is you can sometimes see just visually the um, the mismatches, right? So one team is five um, on passing offense, and, and the next team is like 65th on defense, you know, defending the pass. And one of the things I was like kind of excited about was was I was looking at Texas, and their pass defense is like not not good. Um, 
or it's not great. I would say, I would say not great. Um, and, and, you know, in like total yards, they've given up a lot of passes, but they also play in the big 12. Um, so, you know, taking a look at Baderick's numbers plus like the total yards and stuff. And then I'm like, ah, oh, but it's Sam Neuer, <laughs> you know, it's kind of that, um, like he, he's fine. And like, again, he has done a good job moving Colorado's offense forward, but I don't know if he's somebody that's going to exploit not only, uh, like, you know, and, and, an interesting passing defense, um, but also one that's missing their two corners and actually one of their safeties, I think, is, is also opting out of this game. So I don't know. Like, I, I was really hoping there'd be like that strength on weakness, and it's not there. And also, like, it's not like, you know, Texas's pass defense is bad. It's just, you know, it isn't laying the world on fire. And when I saw the total yards, which is one of the lessons to learn is don't don't use total yards, like use the advanced metrics and, and control for opponent and stuff. But anyway, I thought that was interesting. The other thing that I thought w- that stood out for me was um, Colorado's fourth in tackles for loss per game in the country with eight eight point six. So I thought that was uh, an interesting item. Uh, that said, most of Texas's offensive line is going to be in this game. So um, I don't know. Like, take those numbers for, for what they're worth. Like, I'm not touching this game with a 10-foot pole, but I really like the idea of a Colorado that wants to prove themselves, Max, coming into this game against Texas and um, and, and just trying to, to prove themselves. Um, I just I think this would be a great win for the Pac-12 if they're able to, to pull it off. Um, but they're they're going to go up against players that were highly, you know, more highly recruited. And that doesn't necessarily um, mean that that team is better. Um, but they, you know, this is a good test for Colorado. Yeah. And I mean, for me, I'm interested to see how Colorado's defense fares after the injury to Nate Landman. I mean, he's just such an integral part of their defense. And I, I think honestly, like I'm more concerned about Colorado's defense post Landman's absence compared to the offense, because a big 12 defense is still a big 12 defense and Colorado has has shown life in a lot of games this year on that end. Yeah. If you're a Colorado fan and if you haven't seen Texas, I mean, obviously Sam Ellinger is, is good. 2,400 yards, 60% completion rate, 25 uh, touchdowns, five interceptions, but he can also get it done on the ground. Um, And he's kind of built pretty burly. So just keep a lookout for that. I mean, he had almost 400 yards on the ground and eight touchdowns this year. Um, When you see him run, you'll go, Oh, okay. I get it. Like if you haven't seen him before, um, and, and obviously I've seen Sam Neuer run also, so I kind of understand the big burly, like willing to kind of go up and put his body out there. Um, and also Bijan Robinson. So one of the things that, uh, that I'm going to keep my eye on is, you know, Arizona was able to run the ball against Colorado well. Um, and that was with Nate Landman on the field and Bijan Robinson, I think is, is better than the running backs at Arizona. Their offensive line is better than those at Arizona. There is a world where Texas is able just to control the line of scrimmage. If, if they're locked in and focused and kind of take control of the game. Uh, in addition to that, you have uh, a really potent passing attack also. Um, so anyway, uh, I, I don't know anything to that Rob in terms of like the, the rush defensive Colorado. Yeah. I mean, if in Arizona we've highlighted had, one of the worst offensive line regressions in all of college football. So I would, I would not be excited to see P. John Robinson, who is a, just a monster as a true freshman. Um, you know, the, the Texas should be able to move the ball on the ground. If they are, that could really open things up for them throwing the ball uh, in this game. I, I really think Colorado, this, this, this shapes up to be a little more like UCLA game against UCLA. They might need to be plus two on turnovers to really make a game of this. Uh, if it goes the other way and they're minus two on turnovers, I mean, Texas might you know, might be up by a pretty ugly score. Yeah, it could get ugly, but props to that coaching staff for getting them to this game 
Um, and and I, I do have confidence that Colorado is going to come in with something to prove. So, uh, And I think that's a compliment, not only the coaching staff, but the direction the program is headed. So um, anyway, I'm, I'm really excited to watch this. I'll be obviously rooting for Colorado. And uh, man, if they win, I think it'd be a really nice win for the conference. So uh, we will stay tuned to that. And we'll make sure to report on it next week. Let's move to Saturday, January 2nd, the Fiesta Bowl, where Oregon is a four and a half point underdog against Iowa State and I think this matchup is fascinating Max uh, what you know what jumped out for you when you took a look at the the initial listing so I mean for me like Oregon's big advantage is that their coaching staff is so much stronger than several other or pretty much every other Pac-12 coaching staff um, and but Iowa State with uh, Matt Campbell like they're an extremely well-coached group and they might not have as much talent as in Oklahoma or Texas, but they they are always competitive with those games. I mean, it was just a very well-prepared bunch. And Brock Purdy is, is your traditional, like, Big 12 gunslinger. Like, I, I um, their running back, uh, oh, my God, I'm blanking on his name. Like, Bree, uh, Rob might need to help me there. But uh, their running back is fantastic. Brees Hall. Um, thank you, Brees Hall. And... Uh, and yeah, I, I just think it's a very well-rounded group. And I think that this is a very interesting matchup between two well-coached teams. Yeah, Iowa State comes in uh, with wins over TCU, Oklahoma, Texas Tech, Kansas, Baylor, Kansas State, Texas, and West Virginia with uh, three losses to you. Uh, they call, they say Louisiana, but it's Louisiana Lafayette. Let's be let's be honest here. Uh, Oklahoma State and then Oklahoma. Uh, Brock Purdy. It's the Brock Purdy show. But I thought one of the things like you mentioned, Max, Brees Hall has had himself a hell of a year. Okay, this is a this is a diminished year, right? Like with a lot of stuff going on, he has 1,400 yards and 19 touchdowns. He's averaging six yards per carry. He's a Big 12 player of the year. He is awesome. And then when you add that to the fact that Brock Purdy has been really solid for um, for Iowa State, 18 touchdowns, nine interceptions, 66% completion rate, and then 300 yards on the ground. Um, th- this is an interesting matchup for a defense, Rob, that I think has had some struggles. Yeah, Oregon's defense has started to climb up a little bit as the season has gone on, but uh, still not a ton of data. And we we don't, like I mentioned, like we don't necessarily have the Pac-12 fully slotted in, um, you know, in the cross-conference. So Iowa State comes in. They're at number four in beta rank uh, right now. I mean, they've, they've really shown out this season. Uh, they're number seven on offense. They are a more explosive than efficient offense. They're number nine in explosive drives, um, only number 32 in drive efficiency. But Oregon's got some, you know, some of this is still the some of the preseason weight too, because their their drive efficiency numbers at 42, um, their explosive drives is at 27. Um, you know, they're only forcing three and outs at negative drives, at, you know, ranked at number 35. Iowa State just doesn't go three and out a lot. They're number three in negative drives, number 13 in effective pass, number 14 in effective rush. Oregon comes in no split either, really. Number 27 in both effective rush and effective pass. Um, you, like I said, like you feel a little better about where, you know, the Ducks have kind of closed out the season, but some pretty rough patches. Meanwhile, the Iowa State defense really bounced back. They're number three on defense. Um, very good at drive efficiency. They don't give up long drives. Uh, 13 on explosive drives. Uh, you know, they're, but where they, they make their hay is they're, they're, they're tight front. So they are number two in effective rush. They're a very hard team to run against uh, in, the, in their setup that they have. Um, number 45, an effective pass. So Oregon might be able to throw the ball here, um, you know, and, and Chuck giveth and taketh so far this season. Uh, and they're, they're number 18 in beta rank on offense. 
you know, not a big split between efficiency and explosiveness, 19 in drive efficiency, 18 in explosiveness. They do struggle though. They, they're at number 32 in negative drive. So, you know, too many three and outs, too many turnovers um, as they've, they've learned the new offense, but you know, number 19 in effective pass number 25 in effective rush. I'm, I'm interested to see because I do expect that they are going to struggle to, to run the football in this game. Um, you know, I, I feel like Chuck is a, is, is good. Can he avoid mistakes? Um, if he can, Oregon should be able to make a game of this. But I mean, Beta Rank Scott, you know, Iowa State really is a seven and a half point favorite in this game. Yeah, a couple of things to to mention to complement the numbers in terms of the personnel that they have. So, you know, mention them being able to just have an efficient offense in general. And not only can they run the ball, uh, and not, not only can Purdy throw the ball, but they have eight wide receivers that have caught more than 100 yards. So they're, they're distributing that ball across the field to multiple different people. I mean, the person to look out for is Xavier Henderson. Uh, he's 6'3", 207. He has about 726 yards <laughs> through the air and four touchdowns in a year where it's been pretty crazy. So um, he has the numbers. But again, it's kind of it, it reminded me of a Mike Leach team. Like, not, not obviously the, the construction of the offense, but like just the stats when you take a look and it's like, you know, 10 receptions, 15 receptions, 30 receptions, it just moves its way up. And there's so many people that have, uh, you know, like receiving yards and and like are on the board there. Uh, So that's something to keep a lookout for. And then you mentioned the tight front and um, Iowa State does not, unlike Texas, it's not like these players are um, avoiding playing in this game. This is a New Year's, uh, you know, technically it's a a BCS bowl. Um, And you have three um, first team, all uh, big 12 players on uh, on the front seven. And it starts with Mike Rose, who's the Big 12 uh, Defensive Player of the Year. So Iowa State has the Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year and Defensive Player of the Year. Um, he has 90 tackles, 10 for uh, ten for a loss, uh, and, and four interceptions, <laughs> which is pretty crazy for a linebacker. Uh, so keep a lookout for him. You also have Jaquan Bailey and Will McDonald, who are on the first team, all Big, t- Big 12, um, and they have all double-digit tackles for a loss. So I think the pressure that they're going to put on this new Oregon offensive line, although, you know, obviously Oregon's offensive line has performed Performed, uh, pretty admirably, like given all the you know the fact that they are basically starting over, um, but they're going to come up against probably Max. I, I would assume one of the the better defensive fronts uh, in the country, uh, <laughs> not just in the in the Pac-12, but uh, period. Um, yeah, I, I mean or- Oregon's offensive line, admittedly, like they're um, at the beginning, like I thought that they looked much better than I would have guessed. Uh, but I mean, really, like the, the UCLA game was definitely a big eye opener. And I wish that we could have gotten them uh, to play. Well, I shouldn't say gotten them, but I wish they would have played Washington just to see how they would have fared against ETF. So I know that that's definitely uh, a matchup to keep an eye on and, and definitely going to be a major part in determining who wins this one. I um, I saw the four and a half and I um, I thought that was kind of low for Iowa State. I just given Oregon's problems on defense and the fact that I think Iowa State's going to be able to put up points here. It's more, I think it's more of a question of can Oregon um, keep up with them? And that puts a lot of weight on the shoulders of Tyler Shuck, particularly if, uh, if Iowa State's able to shut down the running game, um, you know, or, or at least contain it, which I think, that, I think that's possible. I don't think they're going to be able to shut down uh, what they're doing at Oregon in terms of running. But um, there, there aren't a lot of bowls that I want to bet. I, I'm, I'm really leaning towards taking – um, Iowa State here. Beta Rank has uh, has this game um, in their favor a lot higher than the spread is. Max, is that what do, what do you think about the spread here? Obviously, no, you know, knowing that it's it's 
kind of ridiculous to bet on bowls in general, but I just think this matchup really is, is not a good one for Oregon. Um, yeah, I, I'm not going to personally bet this game and, and I feel stronger, honestly, about, uh, Colorado over Texas for the spread. Uh, yeah, if, if, if I had to pick, I would go Iowa state in this one, but not a strong lean. Okay. Um, Rob, we have learned, you know, picking, uh, <laughs> picking bulls can, can be a, uh, kind of like flipping a coin here, but, um, I know. I think it's just, like if, if I'm going to put a little bit of recreational money um, on, on these bulls, I, I definitely kind of like this one. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? Like, do you think beta rank? Um, one of the things that jumped out for me, too, is you mentioned that the Big 12 is kind of locked in. And I would say defense is number three in the country. <laughs> like, that's that's crazy, man. I mean, yeah, I mean, I would say like the Big 12, yes, is a little more locked in. Now, the, the conferences that we have no non-conference games on yet, of course, are the Big 10 and the SEC. So. I mean, it's it's quite possible that we're going to come out of you know some more of these you know Big Ten games, uh, you know the SEC games, and see you know Oklahoma and Iowa State fall down a little bit. I do want to point out because I I think people have you know like uh, Iowa State does play defense. Oklahoma uh, under Alex, you know, a name that most around the Pac-12 will remember. Oklahoma really has you know their defense has really come together. They they were pretty good even you know and what you saw with that comeback. Um, you know, where Iowa state was really able to turn it on, uh, in the second half against Oklahoma. I mean, that was, that, you know, that shows, I think you know, the, the progress that they've made offensively too is, is Oklahoma's defense isn't what they used to be. You know, when, uh, they got Mike Stoops fired. Okay. Okay. Um, well, we'll keep a lookout for that. I think it's a really fun matchup, um, two really solid teams and there's not a lot of them this year, uh, in terms of the bulls that like, it seems like every other game's been canceled in the last couple uh, weeks. So, uh, we'll cross our fingers and uh, try to make sure that this one, uh, gets played and we'll report back after it is done. We have one more thing for you. You have a coaching change down in Tucson, uh, and a bit of a surprise. And we'll talk about that, uh, the new head coach there and what we think about it right after this. All right, we're back. And after getting just clown punched by ASU, like 70 to four, whatever the hell the score was, Arizona uh, turns the corner on on a Kevin Sumlin year. And I think one of the things, Rob, is like, you know, you and I are alums of Arizona, and but we, we kind of we kind of look at them the way that I look at like, um, I don't know, like it's just like the traffic where it's, yeah, I graduated there. I like Arizona. Um, I, I'm more fascinated with the conference rather than Arizona individually. Um, and, and when they when they made the move and they, they had the hire, um, I kind of looked back at, at what we thought Arizona was going to be this year. Um, and, and I really liked some of the hires that, that Semelin had made. Um, and obviously that team got gutted with, uh, with Colin Schooler leaving and Tony Fields and a number of the secondary players. I think they were playing five uh, scholarship secondary players in the last couple of games um, with all that said that this program collapsed and you just saw it not only um, against ASU, but against Washington and like just the, the, the mental uh, ineptitude of that team uh, to just completely dissolve when things went bad. Uh, I think it was indicative of the coaching staff. I, I wouldn't put that on the players. And so now we have a, a change here. And uh, first of all, Rob, let me, you know, anything you want to say about our predictions on, on Arizona and compared to the reality after this year, uh, 2020, uh, you know, anything you want? To I mean, we look, we look good for one week. Like we, <laughs> look, I mean, it's really hard. I mean, it's really hard to figure out how 
Arizona so utterly collapsed from what they, you know, what they had been against USC, right? I mean, because it's not, I mean, you came away from both, you know, ASU and, and Arizona playing USC. And I mean, you had to have like, I, I think for both programs, like you felt like you had some, you know, reasonable positives to take out of those losses. Uh, man, Arizona just utterly collapsed um, down the stretch there. And, and I, I think the real culprit is the, you know, the offensive line. I mean, I just, I, I was amazed at how much the offensive line regressed. Um, you know, that Devan hire really, really did not pan out. Yeah. After returning a bunch of uh, linemen on that front, I thought it, like, it was interesting because the, the defensive line looked pretty solid. Like I, I thought they looked good. Lopez was good. Yeah. But they just, they just got gassed. I mean, like there, there's just, anyway, there's a lot of things where you could point to certain, uh, you know, like obviously the running game looked pretty solid. The defensive line looked, looked solid. Um, but there were, there were just, I mean, th- this program collapsed. Grant Gannell is gone now. Um, he's transferring to Memphis after like the, the last memory I have of him is somebody patting him on the shoulder after he got like just rammed oh, into yeah. the ground and him wincing and just that face that he looked like that he had whenever he, like he got panicked. I don't know. It's just uh, like, I, I wish him, I really hope that like he's able to really get his footing uh, at Memphis because obviously it was just a total crap show at Arizona this year. So um, the best of luck to him uh, moving on. And, but Max, like, I kind of opened up by saying Rob and I went to Arizona. So I want to get somebody who um, has even more of a passive look at the program. You know, they're, they're looking around for a coach, a lot of smoke around the San Jose state coach. Uh, they end up going with Jed fish, which like I cocked my head to the, to the side a little bit and, and thought about it, but I'm curious what your initial thoughts are um, of, of kind of going out of the box and bringing somebody in that, that has some experience in the pac 12. I don't know. I, I was, I was pretty underwhelmed by the hire. Like this is a guy who's just bounced around from stop to stop. Like, I mean, he has done some good things before. I, I feel like what most Arizona fans are probably most optimistic about was uh, the job he did at Michigan when he was the offensive coordinator there, but maybe, yeah. And, and, but Arizona, like the athletic department and really like the university has kind of been in turmoil. Um, so maybe, you know, this was the best coach that they could attract. Rob, what did you think? I mean, I, I have tried to on this because uh, you and I both are more privy to uh, the Arizona fan reaction as well, <laughs> which uh, having uh, ridden out the uh, the NCAA basketball scandal, the FBI scandal with that fan base, like it's, I thought, I thought, um, it's I thought there was, up. I know. Well, I mean, I, I think that the reaction, you know, Fish is, he's not the hire I would have made. I think his resume, I think he needed to go prove it at a group of five school first, but you know, I, you talk to people around, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the Michigan program, we talked to people around UCLA, he did a really good job in both places. Like, you know, and, and both, both, like he was the passing game coordinator for Michigan. They really took huge improvement. Um, and then of course, like fell off a little bit after, you know, after his time there, yeah, UCLA, I mean, people forget like the, uh, you know, the year before he was there, um, more, I had tried to implement the, uh, the he-man offense, you know, like oh, we're a run, the, right. Like the truck, the truck nuts offense. And it, uh, it, it, it was in a ditch. I mean, they're at 100 in beta rank. They, I mean, they jumped up all the way to 34. Um, and they were at number six overall an effective pass in beta rank that year. And Rosen was hurt. Some of that at like some of the, and I went back and thought like 
some of my Devin monster love that was like, he actually looked pretty good. with <laughs> Jed fish calling plays. Um, you know, when he was at UCLA, I mean, did not work at all when he was at Cal, but I, I think the, you know, the, the, you know, the, what was interesting, I was talking to somebody that's a high school coach in Oregon and they had talked to Mario Cristobal two years ago, um, at a, at a summer camp that, uh, at the university that, uh, you know, that, um, fish was at, he was a, uh, he was a, uh, a coach at, and he was talking to Cristobal about fish and Cristobal loves him. I mean, just talked about his, I mean, you know, Mario Cristobal has a maniacal work ethic and he was gushing about Fish's work ethic. Talked about him as a recruiter. If you go look at Fish's, you know, 24 seven stats as a primary or secondary recruiter, there's some pretty, I mean, I don't expect like, I don't expect him to suddenly change Arizona's recruiter. Like Arizona's not going to suddenly go out and sign a bunch of four stars, but you know, pretty good recruiter. Um, And then, you know, schematically he's got, I mean, he was the runner up for that, you know, the job that went to Joe Moorhead. Um, which he would have been a good hire for Oregon as an offensive coordinator uh, coming in. You know, so I, I, I look, I, he's not, I definitely think, I mean, there, there's, you know, there were rumors that Brennan turned Arizona down, um, you know, that he actually had the offer. I just, I, I think from a, from a football perspective, like when you look around at his time bouncing around, you know, and, and you know, he's been on a lot of staffs. He has generally made moves to, you know, take better jobs, uh, when available, you know, I, I, I think that it might bode well. I mean, we'll see. I mean, like I, I thought the Sumlin hire was good at first and then he announced Mazzoni and that he was keeping Marcel Yates and I was underwhelmed. Um, you know, I, I think it's going to be the same for fish. Now fish is probably going to call plays who his defensive coordinator is. Um, and then of course, like who his offense, I mean, Arizona, you know, hire the right offensive line coach. I mean, again, we're not talking about like Arizona could be like the Oregon state. Like suddenly they look like they could have a bad year, but suddenly they look like they're a better coached, bad football team. That might be Arizona next season. Um, you know, but he's got an opportunity with the transfer portal and the you know, the eligibility. I mean, Arizona can sign 28 players this year. They've signed 16 to this point. You know, you still expect them to take a, you know, a quarterback, um, you know, and, and, and fish might be able to, you know, bring somebody in, but you know, if, if he's able to maybe bring some of the players, I mean, Gunnell's already gone, but some of the players back out of the portal, as well as grabbing some guys, you know, that are going to be available in the transfer portal, um, looking for playing time, Arizona, you know, they, they have a shot. I mean, like anything, like every, I say this, every program in America, whether you are Alabama or Arizona is one coach away from being either a lot better or a lot worse. Yeah, I I think it's going to be a, a rough couple of years in Tucson, um, but I think that's because things fell so far, right? Like he's really going to have to put the pieces back together um, through the transfer portal. I, I guess like keeping on the sunny side, I want I want I'm curious what you think about this, Max. So, um, good a good coordinator from all you know all reports, a decent coordinator, um, and one of the things like that I've seen the last couple of years is retreads at Arizona. And um, just kind of a lack of energy and a lack of creativity. Uh, this is Fish's first head coaching job. So we talk about him bumping around a lot, and he has. But most of that is in coordinator positions and are pretty good coaches. Um, or, you know, position coach. He was the, the quarterback's coach under Bill Belichick most recently. Um, this is his first job. And I want somebody that, that really has something to prove and, and really wants to grind um, in their first opportunity. So, like, I, same thing on my end. I'm not, like 
overwhelmed by the hire, but I, I'm not as down as I think the fan base is. is. Is does that sound crazy, Max? Or like, you know, who who would have been a couple other people that maybe Arizona should have uh, taken a look at before making the hire? <laughs> well, I, I don't. Know. I, I just feel like, like for me, like Brennan was 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 a good choice. Um, I don't know. I, I guess you know, like you can't really dwell on the past. Like you you guys got fish, so there's no need to you know mention any other candidates, but. I mean, I, that is definitely an optimistic mind view to have, and, and and I think that that's encouraging. Like he is a good recruiter, and obviously, if you're a college football coach at a Power Five team, like unless you're a, an absolute wizard like Jonathan Smith, you're gonna you're gonna have to recruit really well to compete with the big boys. So, I mean, Fish definitely has his positives. Uh, not my first choice, but you know, uh, even like two or three years ago, like we were panning Herm Edwards and, and we were praising Chip Kelly. And, and really up until this year, it seems like the Edwards hire was significantly better. So yeah, you just, you just really never know. Yeah. There, there were some reports about like um, the, the president of the university of Arizona being friends with Jed fish. And um, from one particular outlet, um, the two, four, seven guys who, who get some stuff right and some stuff not right. Um, and then that was kind of, lightly challenged by the the local paper there by michael lev who, who we really like um so who kn- who knows like it seems like that might have been more overblown or, or maybe not but like the higher is the higher um and we're uncertain whether brandon said yes or no i guess one more thing to to throw out is you know like this brandon's name started getting floated out there and i took a look back um just at his coaching history now he has improved san jose state um at the same time, like he's been a head coach for like three years and his in-conference record was like four and 20, <laughs> like up until this year. Um, and yeah, they went seven and four. They looked really good in a pandemic year, but I don't know. I just felt Rob that like that people were putting a lot of weight on, on Brennan as like, you know, the second coming, you know, f- you know, for Arizona football, which is what five and five in conference. So like, you know, the expectations are pretty low, but I thought like people were all in on a coach that they had never heard of about two weeks earlier. Uh, so that, that just struck me as interesting. I don't know. What, what, did, what did you think about that? I, I thought if you were going to pick between the two, Brennan was the higher because Brennan's done it as a hedge coach. He's going to bring the staff with him. Likely if you went through that, I went through the San Jose staff. Like I like the staff he's got there um, in a lot of cases. Uh, but I, I mean, I, I just think from a, I just think from a pure football perspective, like fish is fish is he's interesting. I mean, I just, I didn't understand. I felt like the overreaction to the point and like some of the way it was panned, you know, by Arizona fans and some of the way it was panned even like by, you know, some of the folks around the pack top, I just thought it was over the top, right? Like, because, you know, when you, when you get under the hood and look at the numbers, you know, when, when he's been the coordinator, um, you know, and the effect that he's had and, you know, he's, he spent the last, you know, three years working with Sean McVay and, and Bill Belichick. When you get that kind of endorsement from, you know, Mario Cristobal, um, you know, and really like coming in second, you know, and that, and that, uh, to, to Moorhead is, is nothing to be ashamed of at all. I mean, I just, he's, is it, is it too soon for him to be the, you know, power five head coach? Like, I mean, yeah, probably. Right. Like, I mean, I, I think he did need to go, you know, either land another coordinator job to where he was like such an obvious candidate that he was going to land, a, you know, get a power five job or, you know, he needed to go prove it at the group of five level. But, you know, the, I think the notion like, I mean, the, the, 
like the crazy names that were, you know, kicked around in the search for like Niamatololo, right? Like running the triple option again, you know, that again, or Antonio Pierce, right? Um, you know, or even like Joe Salavea, you know, who are two Arizona alums or Antoine Kaysen came in with a, a pitch, right? To bring in like Norm Chow as offensive coordinator. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, the, like, to be fair, like, I mean, like the fans reacted to dead fish as if it were like, you know, people reacted as if it were like some like completely crazy hire, but like, you know, you talk to people around, you know, that, that, you know, know him or, you know, you talk to people around the programs that he's been at. It's, you know, there's a lot of really positive things that are said about the guy. So I, I mean, like college football, being a college football coach is a grind. Like, I mean, it, it, like it is a 24 seven grind. Um, and so you don't question with fish. And I, I think when you talk about somebody being hungry, like, you know, I don't know that someone really seemed all that invested a lot of times. Right. You know, and you could really ask that sometimes about rich rod too. You know, I, I just, you know, Fish seems like a guy that really does want to succeed. And, you know, that's not the worst thing to have if you're Arizona. Like, his success will be Arizona's success if it works. Um, But I also thought it was smart for Arizona, like, versus hiring Brennan, because hiring Fish, you're hiring a guy who's a pretty good offensive coordinator. um, And it may, you know, I I thought Arizona needed to maybe go the coordinator route. Um, you know, so that they could lock down somebody that, you know, maybe they wouldn't be able to bring in, um, you know, to bring, be their OC, you know, the level of confidence as an offensive coordinator, um, you know, kind of like the way that, you know, Jonathan Smith has brought that competence, you know, to Oregon State's offense. You could argue Wilcox has brought to Cal's defense. I think that that is the route Arizona really needed to go. If he can, and it's not easy, you know, like, it's all like, really like everyone should just keep an eye. It's going to depend on the defensive coordinator hire. Like that's going to tell us a lot about how this is going to work. If it's, you know, I mean, cause someone I thought was his goose might've been cooked when Marcel Yates was retained. And that was, you know, real early on. <laughs> yeah. It'll be interesting to see if he does, if he keeps Paul Rhodes, I would uh, take a step back <laughs> from the, yeah, no. uh, so we'll keep, we'll keep an eye on that. I mean, like, obviously this isn't an Arizona podcast, but wanted to make sure to cover that as it, obviously it's a, um, one of the open jobs in the conference. So, um, we'll keep a look on those hires as we move forward. And if there's any changes in other schools, uh, from the coordinator positions or even some of the position, uh, jobs, which, which can be really, really important. Um, as Arizona just showed with Kyle Devan <laughs> in their offensive line, um, we'll, we will keep an eye on that. Uh, next week we're we're going to do uh, a full review of this year, um, some of the things that we got right and got wrong, or some of the surprises that we saw. Uh, so stay tuned. We'll also, of course, like uh, report on what happened in the bowl games. So we have a whole like a list of things that we're going to be continuing to cover as we move through the offseason. So stick with us. Thank you for listening, and we will catch everybody next week.